You are listening to a Core Awareness Seminar by Liz Cook. Her website is www.coreawareness.com. That's C-O-R-E awareness.com. Please note that Core Awareness is a trademark signature of Liz Cook, her workshops, seminars, books, and CDs. The information presented in the seminar is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose of the seminar is to provide information and to simply educate. The author and publisher shall have neither liability nor responsibility to any person or entity with respect to any loss, damage, or injury caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly by the information, suggestions, explorations, or exercises contained within the seminar or written in response to the seminar. The author is not a medical authority, and she is not qualified to diagnose or prescribe any therapy. The information is simply her personal opinion. Please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have. I want to welcome everybody. This is Liz Cook at Core Awareness. It's my website, and I focus on the psoas muscle for those of you who are just meeting me for the first time who came through Sue. And uh, I welcome you all to join us in this conversation about melt method and uh, fluid systems and the psoas muscle. So I'm the author of the psoas book, uh, my 30th edition. 30 anniversary, it's my 30th anniversary of the SOAS book, is out this year, and also a second edition of Core Awareness, Enhancing Yoga, Pilates, Exercise, and Dance, and it just came out from North Atlantic Books, it's just part of Random House, and uh, you can find that at bookstores now and online and all those good things. So I want to welcome you all. If you, I'm kind of muting you as you go along, but um we're going to have that silent, and then later, uh, when I open it up for a few questions, all you have to do is star six, and you'll be able to speak to us. So, welcome, Sue. I'm delighted to have you here, and um, I want to just kind of introduce you to everyone who's not on the call, uh, or who doesn't, isn't familiar with you, and uh, Sue is a nationally recognized neurofascial manual therapist. And her work and her studies have really culminated in an amazing system called MELT, M-E-L-T. And I'll let her go into why she called it MELT, but it's kind of obvious to me, um, which is really a delightful uh, approach to preparing the body for fitness, I would say, as well as uh, for healing, for just a delightful way of softening, opening, hydrating tissue. And I wanted Sue to join me today because my love and passion is the psoas muscle. I take a very different approach than the mechanical, biomechanical approach to the psoas. It's a very uh, comprehensive, holistic approach to the psoas that uses more of an embryological model for understanding the core tissue of your body. And so when Sue and I connected, there was so much to share around uh, what is now called the sympathetic neurocore um, and how the psoas is part of that. And 
So she comes to us with, with not only an amazing uh, background, but also some real vision of, I think, the psoas is tissue that's um, expressive of something uh, that we would call fluidity or fluid movement or uh, a good neurology so that our bodies are functioning really at their prime. So I welcome you, Sue. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Liz. So my first uh, question that I'd like to pose to you is, give us a little background. How did you go from from a, a fitness, I think you're, we were a fitness coach, you've been in the fitness world mm -hmm. forever, to a developing melt method? Yeah, well, um, you know, I've, I've been in the fitness industry for 25 years. I was the Crunch Boot Camp girl that I have a Crunch Boot Camp video and uh, was kind of known for sort of beating people up and making them sweat and kind of putting them through the ringer to make their bodies change. And in the height of my career, in my um, uh, late 20s, I incurred my first chronic pain. And uh, it really veered me clear out of fitness to try to heal my own pain. Um, and I came up with this you know, uh, I think very forwarding question for myself was, how do you maintain an active, healthy, pain-free life? And I was always under the assumption that if you ate right and you exercised and you did balanced training and balanced workouts and, you you know, you strengthened yourself just as much as you stretched your body uh, and you did good things for your body, that your body would benefit from it. And unfortunately for me, um, that did not work. And what I've come to learn is that um, there is a system of the body that innately supports, protects, and stabilizes all aspects of our body um, that's really gone quite undefined, not only on a physical level, but on a molecular level, on a, on a cellular level, what the connective tissue system does for us um, outside of just being the packing material that's around all structures of the body. Okay, and, so, so, um, so, tell, so, so, so let me break it up just a little bit because that's a lot sure. of information. Um, okay, so your own pain started you investigating? How, yes. How did you go into becoming a, a, a neurofasciotherapist? What led you there? Well, I started out in my early 20s, I was into neuromuscular therapy, and I've always had this ability since I'm a kid to feel vibration uh, on, on all living things, and I never really knew what it was or how to define it or how to use it, but for me, I was lucky enough to, I suppose, ask the question to people who offered me, instead of saying like my father did, you're strange, don't tell anybody, um, to, well, there are many vibrations in the body, so keep asking and I'm sure you'll find that answer for yourself. And um, I went from that into learning um, more the healing arts. I began uh, studying cranial sacral therapy and visceral manipulation and uh, lymphatic drainage and began to learn these finer parts of the body. And in uh, around 2000, 2000, I met Gil Headley, who does a layer-by-layer -layer dissection. And I had done dissections many times before, but the way that he does it is he removes each layer, not to define the layers, but to show the continuity that is within all of us and to give expression to how things connect rather than how to cut things up to define them. Right. And I had never seen the body this way. That's and when, when we removed the 
skin, and I really got to see this fibrous tissue that was three-dimensional and, and how it literally you did have to cut or separate each layer, um, and you could define these layers. It was then that I said to Gil, do you think that what I'm feeling under the skin, could it be in this layer? And he said, not the layer, the system. The system is a fluid-based system, so perhaps you are feeling the fluid state of it. And what I have come to understand is that that is, that is what I can palpate, I can influence. And what's um, been, I think, the transition for me is trying to explain to people how the nervous system and the connective tissue actually work together to keep you stable, that the muscles and bones are just movers and spacers. But what we need to do is understand that dynamic of how the sensory nervous system is being supported by the connective tissue. The connective tissue is the environment. And so my my direction really where I veered into was trying to understand more about um, the nervous system and the connective tissue. And so what I call it is the neurofascial system, trying to educate people that these two systems work together as the supportive architecture and the cellular architecture um, that keeps us healthy. That's great. So, so tell us what MELT stands for, M-E-L-T. Well, MELT, uh, when I first created it, was an acronym. It had periods in it, and it used to stand for myofascial energetic length technique. And uh, when I coined that term, the um, I guess the subtitle of MELT was to restore a solid to a fluid state. And MELT has certainly outgrown the acronym because I'm not really talking about the myofascial layer. I'm talking about the system uh, from skin to bone, what is that architectural framework, and, and how is this fluid system providing us support? So um, MELT is really a, I think, what it, what it stands for is living uh, healthy and mobile in your body over your lifetime so that you can live pain-free, so that you reduce the stuck stress that gets into this tissue and causes us all of the unnecessary stiffness and pain or that hypermobility that also causes us pain um, where our joints are not stable um, and our, our organs are not stable, our mind is then not stable, um, and to replenish this system through hydration techniques um, to try to restore its balance so that our cells thrive over our lifetime. So I'd like to start with this idea of a system and and go down into uh, the deepest core because my work, mm -hmm. um, as you know, focuses on the midline. And, yes. and as uh, embryological development, we, we start as a cell, the cell divides, and it organizes in a midline. And then everything unfolds from that midline. So when you're doing a cadaver, you're coming from the outside in. But that's mm -hmm. not how we formed ourselves. Our, our form came from the inside out. And so this deepest layer of what we call connective tissue. Um, right. I'd like you to start in that embryological place of that center of unraveling or unfolding or 
blossoming maybe would be a better word. Well, and and those are such great words to really define this because, you know, on a macro level, I think that's where people um, who are now myofascial experts, they're really looking at the macro level of how this tissue supports muscles and creates continuity of muscles. But when you go all the way down to the embryologic level, that's really where the profoundness of connective tissue really is so unknown and so not... um, defined that this is something that to me seems quite simple. Just like how you say, you know, we are a single cell and there is a cell membrane, a cell wall, which could be considered a connective tissue. And as you split the cells and you turn from two cells to four cells, that all of those cells in in the first set, when we are first um, being developed, all cells could be considered uh, unspecialized connective tissue cells. But then what occurs is the DNA and our own stem cells, our DNA is having a conversation with the connective tissue. And what the connective tissue is doing is it is now creating compartments for these cells to live in. So at a time when you're developing, and let's just say, you know, there's a compartment that the DNA is saying, hey, connective tissue, can you make a compartment over here to develop uh, your liver? And it brings these cells into this area that then become specialized, and now they're called liver cells or kidney cells or heart right, cells. Right, there's or like whatever a migration. That, that's that right. And would so say that it, your, it, your cells migrate, and as they migrate, there's this delightful appearance of becoming whatever needs to become in that migration. So That's it's right. Not it, like it is the cell literally knows the roadmap. It's going to be a liver cell. It's like it just that from an embryological point of view. I love that metaphor of that. You know, things show up, and as they show up, they become what they're meant to be right there because the field defines, or the morphic field defines some of what we are. And would you say that connective tissue, in a way, is is part of that? That I mean, that is that fluid intelligence. It is. That, that's right. It is the intelligent system of our body that creates that specialized framework and that design. So, you know, at one point you had bubbles that are ultimately going, in a sense, that are going to create the hand. And at first you just have a bundle of bubbles. And as the connective tissue begins to develop the compartments, this is where the bones are now going to develop to create a hand. And ideally, the, the, the framework and the mapping is correct and the DNA and the connective tissue in this conversation is, is, um, is clear and the pathways are open and, um, you know, there's been, uh, a, you know, good success in the developmental phases where you get, you know, ten fingers and ten toes and, uh, and, and ultimately look like a fetus and look like a, a human form. Um, and that is what these cells are doing for us. And within all of us, in that connective tissue system, it, it is what is um, deciding on so many levels if this child will actually develop into a child or, or if it will not have all the right spaces or compartments for it to be able to have that conversation. And either, you know, you have a stillbirth, you, you have a miscarriage, or just, again, undeveloped cells that it's a pass-through. But when all of the conversation is clear and the reception is clear in this communication, you really get the, to, to understand that bigger picture of how development is so important to us understanding from the get-go, how how we are brought into this world and how we move about is 
through this intelligent system. It's, uh, you know, again, it's been quite misunderstood and, and very disregarded for so many years that really, again, instead of looking so globally, so macroly at the, at the tissue, when you really look at it on a cellular level, you're talking about not only how a body develops healthy, but that ironically is where all of the healing cells are, the fibroblasts, the cells of connective tissue, and the mast cells that are in connective tissue are our healing cells. And so it's a, you know, by this wonderful divine that we are even developed and healthy enough to create our shape, but what sustains it is um, the health uh, and integrity and that cell proliferation in the connective tissue system. So um, let's go into this idea of um, what you and I have talked about, what we call the sympathetic neural core, which was sure. kind of the how the connective tissue does create these these bags or these these compartments. These I, I would call it like blossoming, like a, a rose blossoms. The petals open. There's a kind of a unfolding, and as the sure. organism unfolds, the steepest level is includes the kidneys, the psoas. Um, and and this so the so as part of what is so important to me for people to understand is that when you directly try to palpate or do something to the so as you're missing the point because the so as to me is a messenger of the midline it's letting us know there's some kind of disruption from the very center of our being moving out all the way to our fingers and toes and so you don't shoot the messenger you know you understand its message so I'd like you to talk a little bit about how you perceive that inner inner core of connective tissue or how you feel it penetrates or emerges or unfolds out into this whole intelligence system. Right. Well, and that's such a profound thing, you know, because that, that was such a – it was so much fun to, to do that workshop with you um, to try to describe a little bit better just what the core is. And I mean, in fitness, you know, the core is this – muscle system that's supposed to be, you know, supporting our torso. But in fact, the core is not a musculoskeletal system. It's a neurofascial system. And, uh, you know, there, there are mechanisms of the nervous system and how the nervous system is able to both provide us stability and balance and, again, good cell proliferation. It all originates at a core. And what I have... Um, coined as a, as a concept is this idea of a neural core and that a neural core is where the nervous system derives its connection from head to toe so that when we move, we don't have to think about stability. We don't, I mean, if you're a stable body, you don't think about you know, stability, we don't really even think about movement. We just move and do and almost take for granted the orchestration that's going on inside our body to remain stable. And the way that stability is achieved is through neurological mechanisms. One is a grounding mechanism that allows vibration to pass from our feet to our head, and there is a reflexive mechanism that is consistently trying to support our organ system and keep good communication from our diaphragm to our pelvis and to stabilize the spine. And these neurological mechanisms are inherently linked to our psoas and to our deep stabilizing muscles, if you will. However, if you look beyond the muscle 
and you look at how the nervous system operates, the nervous system doesn't even function from muscle to muscle. It's really working on um, a regulation system. Uh, and, and what these regulators are is there's a stress regulator, there's a repair, a rest and repair regulator, and then there's a gut regulator. And the stress regulator is called the sympathetic nervous system, and that's taking in all information uh, tw 24 hours a day. Anytime we have incoming information, that could be considered stress. It doesn't need to just be fight, flight, or freeze, how we would traditionally think of uh uh, stress, but that stress is all, all, all things in a waking hour. And then what we have is the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our repair, our rest and repair mechanisms um, or regulators that allow us, uh, you know, in its dominant while we're sleeping, to restore balance, to repair. And although there's always the ebb and flow like a, like a seesaw going back and forth between stress and repair all the time, um, our repair regulator, our rest regulator, is really dominant while we're sleeping. And for a lot of us, we're not sleeping. We just don't, we don't have that. And so our own body becomes um, out of balance. And that then ultimately affects our gut. And that is where that inherent link of really destroying, in some ways, the linkage to the midline can really come into play, where the kidneys are affected. Um, the kidneys become very overworked. It doesn't matter if you're drinking water or not. Now you're just peeing it out. You're just, you're almost depleting your body from the fluids that you're taking in. Your body is not able to absorb nutrient as efficiently because the stress is just at such a high demand that that repair that is part of nutrient transportation becomes less bountiful. And now you get to a point where you're getting what we call pre-pain signals. You're, you're not able to fall asleep. You can't stay asleep. You, you're not digesting food well. You're gassy. Your stomach bothers you. Um, you know, you feel exhausted in the middle of the day. You have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. You wake up stiff and achy. These are all pre-pain signals that, hey, your neural core is out of balance. These, these regulators are not regulating stability. And I'm not saying stability on a structural level. I'm saying stability on a cellular level. And uh, you know, when we talk about the midline and we talk about this grounding system, um, it goes beyond the word psoas. It, you know, I mean, just like how I've heard you say, the psoas is not a hip flexor unbeknownst to people. The psoas is a receptive system. It's, it's what is, is signaling vibration and, and is, the, is like the, uh, the, the central point between what we take in from the ground, from gravity and our movement, and how our body then knows where our head and torso and organs are so that things stay in a good place so that you walk and you don't fall over all the time. And that neural core is really, a, again, a convergence of neurological mechanisms and three primary regulators that are housed under the autonomic nervous system. And most people don't know anything about this. We just go right to that macro view of exercise and we sort of miss the point of, uh, you know, why our bodies are out of balance. We keep saying, you know, our hip flexors are too tight, they're too weak, they're too long, they're too short. There's always this thing about your hip flexors and there is this exhaustion that's occurring in the body. There is this uh, wastefulness that's occurring where our body is so overworked that just to remain upright is an effort. And when we get into this place, our core is so faulty in its ability to keep us stable that our only choice is to compensate. And over time, um, you know, we just have dysfunction. We, we become a compensating system. Our body goes into this protective mode to keep us upright. 
and now everything is an effort, and we just are exhausting our bodies day in and day out. We are depleting our resources and ultimately accelerating the aging process. So the okay, core is really so let's, let's a big, take a big this thing. In, let's take this next into um, to what I notice about the psoas, which uh, when we focus on, on basically my work is called core awareness because I'm not really so focused on the psoas. It's kind of an entry point but I'm interested in awareness and how awareness right. of our sensory input actually changes, um, obviously, our own uh, consciousness, but, but our, uh, allows us to thrive as well as survive. And so one of the things that I uh, explain to people around the psoas, because people always want to know, how do I make my psoas strong? Uh, mm -hmm. I have a weak psoas. And what I explain to people is, uh, as you well know, that is that people don't have weak psoas muscles. They have exhausted psoas muscles. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's not about a muscle that needs to be strengthened. What, and what I would call exhausted is a level of dryness. And so that takes mm -hmm. us right into this idea of hydration and the importance of hydration, not through drinking and the kidneys, although that certainly has its place. But as you said, that doesn't really solve the problem. It's like right. the dry sponge that you pour water on. It just runs off. It runs through the kidneys. It's not really being absorbed in the connective tissue or the tissue. So now we have to look at how movement hydrates tissue because, you know, I get it why it's so important to have connective tissue that's fluid because it is the fluid where the information is. It's not even the connective tissue. It's the fluid that's the intelligence. It's bringing the intelligence. And what well, and, and, brings and, right, and that and that is like you know. So to your point, like again, when you speak of psoas, I think that you know, some if if someone didn't know what you were talking about, they would just think that big hip flexor muscle. But when you speak on psoas, you are. It's like this doorway into this 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 core awareness. It, because it is. It's the it's the linkage uh, that that ultimately ties into this system of vibration where where this is how our body knows where we are in space. This is where so much of that um, proprioceptive uh, rich, dense material is is um, located is in that epicenter, in that midline that you that you describe as psoas. That actually the muscle that um, is is you know there perhaps is a beginning and an end to the muscle fiber, but the but the psoas itself is is literally endless from your head down to your toes. You want to almost think of it as a three dimensional network that that keeps us. Stable, and so when when we speak on hydration, a very simplified way to I guess describe this is that the cells of connective tissue are providing the the architecture around all cells. It is the environment that our cells live in, our, and, and not just our cells, but our nerves. And when connective tissue becomes cellularly dehydrated, when these fibroblasts, these cells that are supposed to be creating all of the molecular components outside of our cells, the collagen, the elastin, the hyaluronic acid, all of these profound uh, molecular elements that create this liquid that we can define, um, that when these cells are not proliferating, when they are not developing the fluid, the the other cells of our body are very smart, and the the mitochondria inside the cell is is sensing, gee, outside of my cell wall, it's toxic, it's not moving, and so the cell resists the uptake, 
And when cells resist uptake, that that is accelerating an aging process. A cell that doesn't take in any fluids from the extracellular matrix is also not taking in nutrient. It's not taking in, it cannot transport its own waste. And so it dies. And so all you have is a bunch of dead cells floating around your body. And you cannot just drink water and think that you're going to replenish the cells. We have to learn how to stimulate fibroblasts. And movement, in in its greatest term, stimulates. Uh, fibroblasts and movement is good. We know if you don't move, you you die in a sense. You know, like that's really death is the stopping of motion entirely throughout your body. Is that's that's death. So we we want to preserve our longevity of our good function, our good health, our vibrancy. You you need to you need to get up and move. Um, however, movement also is dehydrating. You know, you run a marathon, don't think that that's going to juice up your psoas. That's you're you you're you are perpetuating some of that dryness in the tissue. Now, what we need to do is learn how to give back to the fibroblasts to to get them excited so that they continue to produce uh, the fluids in that extracellular matrix. And that is something that science is beginning to look at. What is it to stimulate the cells? How can we stimulate the cells? And how are these things effective? Now, with your work, I mean, it's so subtle and it's so embryologic that you can't but not <laughs> stimulate the cell because you're actually taking time in the awareness. You're taking time to sense. You're taking time to go into your body and sense what you feel. You're not just moving to move to lose weight. The intention isn't to go outward into the body, but you're you're asking people to come into their body and to become more aware of what they feel like inside. And and that can be quite emotional um, because that that's what it that's what that system is. It is that emotional field in this fluid system. That vibration when you go into your body is heightened and can really perpetuate a healing for for you both emotionally and. Physically. Well, I also think what it does is it it um, what I'm interested in is accessing the fluid field consciously because as we enter into the fluid field, we don't have to move in in that way that we think bodies move in that mechanical That's way. Right. We are moved. And as you follow movement that comes from the inside out, there's a natural hydrating effect because the organism knows how to heal itself. And so just as you were saying, you're activating this whole process in which the intelligence of the organism starts to thrive from the inside out. It's not about sure, but unfortunately, I mean, I, I think you would agree with this. Is that I think, especially, I mean, I don't know how it is in all countries, but I know in the U.S., we are so out of our bodies. We are so concerned with what other people perceive when they when they see us, how people are going to view us. That we we tend to be very outside of ourselves. To to ask somebody to give themselves permission to go into their body and sense what they feel is actually a huge ask. I mean, people sometimes look at me like, what do you mean go into my body? It's like, well, sense what you feel inside. And they actually will say, I don't know what I feel. And I say, well, welcome back. So take that time to recognize that you actually haven't any idea what it feels like to be in your body because we really just aren't there. And for some people, that's such a big idea. It's so, you know, frou-frou-y even. But we we think we have so much control about what's going on inside of our body, yet there are thousands of 
uh, jobs going on inside of our body that we have no conscious control over. You can't think your way to go to the bathroom. You can't think your way to sleep. You can't think your way into better health. There is a, a something going on inside of ourselves that we can speak to in a nice gentle whisper, which is very similar to what you do. Is you know you're not asking people to to jump around or move. You're actually asking people to go into their body and in going in. That is movement right there, is to, is to awaken your senses is movement and refine movement. But movement, nonetheless, that does restore uh, the hydration of this beautiful cellular system. So, so this idea of, of um, movement, one of the things I understand about it, and I think you address um, when working with the MELT method, is the slowing down. We know that if we're moving too fast, we're in a sympathetic response, which is appropriate when we're going from here to there, because that's what's important. That's what's going to keep us alive. But when we're in parasympathetic, part of what parasympathetic does is it slows the system way down so that repair can actually be stimulated. So the slowing down and the taking time for awareness and taking time for just sensing what is and to allow the system to actually trust the biointelligence of the system to emerge is how I work. But what I love about what you're doing, Sue, is that you have, you have harnessed um, the fitness world into uh, softening their connective tissue. And I, you know, I've been in this field for 40 years and I'm like, whoa, look at this woman go. Like she's going to <laughs> modernize uh, what I would call uh, the human potential into something someone can do in a short amount of time. Um, it's kind of like bringing, you know, consciousness uh, into, you know, a 30-minute session. Um, it's, it's just delightful. So I want you to tell people how you've developed, well, how you've developed a system for hydrating connective tissue. Okay, well, you know, the MELT method is just that, is that we use uh, small balls. I developed these very soft, small balls uh, to treat the hands and the feet where a ton of nerve endings are and uh, where a lot of the proprioceptors are. These are nerve endings, mechanoreceptors, proprioceptors. Those are the sensory nerve endings. You've got billions of them in your hands and feet. And, in fact, you can restore the fluid state of the entire body uh, by stimulating your hands and your feet because there's so much reception um, cellularly and neurologically that, that occurs in those regions of the body. And then I developed this soft foam roller. Um, I think a lot of people know about a foam roller. It, the, traditionally, I mean, the foam roller's been out for, you know, nearly 50 years now. Um, and a foam roller was designed to um, uh, create what they call myofascial release, which when people speak on myofascia, myofascia is the glorified word for the muscle system. Um, it makes it sound like it's more technical, but really myofascial muscle, it's the same thing. And what myofascial release is there to do, or the theory of it, is to restore blood flow to muscle through heavy compression force um, to try to manipulate the tissue to try to bring more blood flow to aid in repair. Um, what MELT does and what I'm trying to do is to explain to people, well, before you do myofascial release, before you do even do anything, why not um, learn 
to both assess your body for chronic dehydration and imbalance, or, or stuck stress is what I call it, and then to restore the fluid state of the body. And so all of the moves are so subtle. They're so simple. We do very little rolling um, on the roller, but when we do, it's quite organized because the intention is to try to improve the fluid state of the entire global matrix um, to help improve the body's healing potential and deter the accumulated stress that occurs just from aging and active living. Um, so I have learned, you know, where, where MELT actually spawned out of was my private practice. I wanted to try to empower my clients to get out of my office. And one of my clients said to me, can't you teach me to do what you do to myself, like what you do with your hands to myself? And I thought I, I never really thought about it. So, um, you know, it was in early 2000s. I started just messing around with PVC piping wrapped in bubble wrap. And I, you know, used kitchen utensils and rocks and balls and rollers and, uh, you know, all to try to affect my body in this light touch way that I did with my hands. And one day I decompressed my own neck and I knew that I had done it and I kept doing it. And what was remarkable to me was as much as I was doing it to try to make my neck feel good and to make my shoulders relax, what I started noticing was that I was sleeping better and that um, I, I just had more energy through my day. My, my eyes felt more clear. I felt I was breathing better. I could work out longer. And that was far beyond, uh, you know, what I was trying to get people in the fitness industry to do was just to make themselves feel better. But what was profound was as I as I continued to develop these and share these with my clients, that my clients were not only getting better, better faster, they were really eliminating a lot of systemic issues. And then in 2004, I brought it into the group exercise environment and, you know, just started out that same rudimentary way of just trying to teach people how they could improve alignment. And after about three months of doing it, people were coming up saying, you know, I'm sleeping better. I've reduced my, my cholesterol medication. My doctor says my blood pressure is down. I think it must be this. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I think I've actually accessed the parasympathetic nervous system in a waking state let me focus on that. And so then that's where the four R's of melt began to come up where I teach people how to not only rehydrate but reconnect to their neurofascial system, rebalance the regulators of the nervous system, get that autopilot back on track, that, that autonomic nervous system that helps in healing, get it back up online, then rehydrate the connective tissue in a very organized, light-touch way. Instead of just ironing yourself like a shirt, like people do with a roller, we use gentle compression techniques we call gliding, shearing, and rinsing, and a two-directional lengthening technique, um, which we just call length. And I teach people how to manipulate this tissue um, to then bring fluid back to the whole matrix. And what is really profound for people is when we do this, and then I teach people how to release, that's the fourth R, release the neck and the low back, the spaces of their hands and feet to release their joints. Um, it is so amazing for people to, to be empowered, to feel their body go from a very identified autopilot inefficient place, an imbalance in their alignment, um, and all of these signs of stuck stress that I can point out for, for a group of people, and then have them transform their bodies, talk them through a sequence. 
and then have them come back to the floor to reassess and having them really feel all of these profound changes I think is what's so exciting for people and has gotten them to come back time and again. And when you melt and you keep that repair cell going, that, that connective tissue system supportive, what is really amazing is that the natural healing potential of the body does come back up online and you really can feel your body it's almost like you are reversing your own aging process. I, I, I feel I look younger in my 40s than I did in my 20s. Um, you know, my skin looks good. My energy is always boundless. I feel great. My joints don't hurt. I can exercise longer. I I keep weight off and I don't think about it. I eat well, you know, and it's a, it's a much better place to be. I think that for anybody in fitness, if you're doing things like I did that you think are going to keep you active, healthy, and pain-free, exercise and nutrition are just not enough. You do need to learn how to go into your body and to actually support the stability system. If you just take for granted, it's going to stay uh, efficient and keep you stable all the time. I got news. It doesn't work that way. Just aging and active living breaks it down. So we do need to learn how to take our time, slow down, go into our body, and actually do something that gives back to us and doesn't expend more useless energy but actually replenishes it inside of ourselves. I think that's the place for people to start. So I'd like to take it now to um, a very specific area because one of the areas that I know for people with psoas issues um, a lot of what I see is not only the, the, the exhaustion and the whole system needing just what you're talking about, this, this capacity to replenish itself. I see that injuries or deficiencies specifically in the sacroiliac joints mm-hmm. will cause psoas problems. And I know that you work with hydrating the pelvis in ways that it's so um, it's so different than the biomechanical idea of how to restabilize the pelvis, and so I'd like you to focus because that's an area of rich innervation. It's part of the midline. Um, it's certainly affected by the way we sit and and the things we do at every day, and it's a place where people feel so much pain. Um, it's connected to the jaw in there so the tmj and the, the so sure. these two ends of the midline um i'd like you Sue, to to talk a little bit about that your different way of thinking and working with these problem areas such as yeah well and things. you know one thing that you said that i almost want to clear because i i think that you know, it could go both ways, you know, like that SI dysfunction can cause psoas dysfunction, but psoas, you know, when your psoas becomes so locked with stuck stress can actually inhibit our pelvis from from remaining centered. And the, the, the thing that people probably should know is that the pelvis is our center of gravity. It it, it is, it's our, our center is in the pelvis. It's not at the abdomen. The grounding force of the pelvis is really so nutrient dense. It's so uh, sensory dense. There's so much innervation that occurs at the pelvis and in within our pelvis is that tailbone that is the keystone um, that really keeps everything stable. And when we think of so as you know as being this hip flexor what it is is that is a is a stabilizer of our 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 vibration our energy our link to the pelvis it is coating the inner 
uh, spine. It is coating the basin of the pelvis and then also hovering over the front of that pelvis of ours, connecting ourselves to our legs, through the adductors, and down into um, our feet and into the inner arches. So what we need to really understand is to look beyond so as, as again, this the, just the midline, but think of this midline clear from head to toe. It is a vibrational set system. It is a it is absolutely, utterly, inherently linked. And in dissection, you can you can see the link between the diaphragm, so as the pelvic floor and the steep abdomen, in a layer we call transversalis fascia, and uh, just underneath it, the subserosal fascia. And this is a double bag that creates this investing communication to keep our center uh, stable, our center of gravity. So for many of us, because of our perpetual state of sitting and this posterior tilt that so many techniques are based on, kind of tucking the pelvis under, sending the tailbone down, that if we're only able to stay stable with a tucked pelvis, then all movement becomes uh, stuck in this tucked pelvis. But if your pelvis, when you stand, is tucked, that means it has to shift itself forward and then the ribs are going to drop back and the head carriage is going to go forward. And now your center of gravity is technically, it would be behind you if it's supposed to stay in the region of the pelvis. Our center of gravity is outside of the body and that can't happen. So on a neurological level, we then transition our center of gravity up. And now we're relying on psoas even more to keep us stable because our own grounding, our own rooting center is not in a place where it can function appropriately. And so the psoas is just saying, work, 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 you know, hold on to us. And we are just holding on to every step. And so the vibrations that need to pass through what I call the domes and arches of the body, from the arches of the feet to the pelvic uh, dome and the diaphragm, the plur of the lungs, roof of the mouth, crown of the head, that the vibration can't pass through each dome efficiently. And so we, it, it's almost as if the vibrations now are also accumulating and stunting the flow that is so vital to psoas to sustain its midline and to sustain that spinal uh, integrity, that communication, um, because it is the gateway. It's the gateway that, that creates that segue between point to point from pelvis to, to diaphragm to our head down to our feet. So these are, I mean, they're profound ideas, but this is not, um, you know, a, a, a model that is just to express a vibration or, or something. This is tangible. It's physiologic. This tissue can be defined, and you can see the inherent connection clear past your pelvis, down into your legs, all the way down to the arches of your feet as one continuous double bag layer that supports us. So the pelvis is, is the grounding region of our body. It is the center of our gravity, um, and that SI joint is a mobile joint. It, it is supposed to be mobile, and in all models that you ever look at about the pelvis, it's considered a fixed joint. Um, and actually, when it becomes fixed is when dysfunction arises. We like that subtle, juicy, tiny motion that the SI joint uh, has, and it cannot have its juicy, subtle motion without psoas being um, balanced and having its open reception. Um, and that, again, is on an emotional field, our fear reflex and all of these reflexes that are housed in psoas need to be released. They need to be opened and, and, um, and felt and sensed, and that's what adapts the change, not exercise. So 
with our time being limited, I'd like to ask you to, for example, give a give people one example of how, um, like with the roller, they could, uh, which I said before, I think the melt roller is just a fabulous tool. Um, it's just a delight to be on. So, for example, under the pelvis, um, give us a small inkling of where you would begin for example, to soften, soften and hydrate and get this juicy response. Because the psoas is the filet mignon. We know it's a juicy, it's, it's very, very juicy. So, so what, what might we do? What might someone take home from this talk well, that they the could roller, try right now would, to soften their Sure. Well, what I would do is I would encourage anyone to learn to assess their body for the inefficiency and for the exhaustion that could perhaps be going on in psoas. And it's so simple to feel. If you lie on your back with your palms up and your arms and legs extended, and if you were to take one finger and touch your belly button, what you want to notice is between your belly button and your bra line, if that mid part of your back feels very arched off the ground, you can't just, you know, don't press your back down, but just, you know, what's your natural state? Many of us have got this wailing arch in our back, which is one of the very easy ways to sense the the locking of psoas, the, the, the lack of vibration that's there. It's almost stuck in its position. And then what you would do is, after you kind of notice that, you would want to come up onto the roller and lie from head to tail on the roller. And one thing I would tell you is that you can't do this on a firm roller because a firm, we never lie on our spine. You can't just lie on a hard surface right along your spinal column. It's actually not something I would recommend. But with the roll, with the melt roller, it's soft and it allows the tissue enough time to adapt to the compression without overexciting the protective capabilities of that tissue close to the spine. And once you lie on the roller, all you need to do is just a little gentle rocking uh, just to prepare your autopilot to keep you stable on the roller. And then do these small articulated movements of the pelvis, subtle tucking and tilting, and see if you can differentiate and access that subtle ebb and flow of your pelvis so that it connects you to that to the spine and that subtle interpretation of that movement to psoas. And then just taking the time to take some focused breaths into your body, just gently thinking about breathing, putting your hands on your body and sensing the movement that the diaphragm creates beyond the muscle of, of your diaphragm, but down into the pelvis. And you may feel if you are focusing on these breaths that your body begins to just naturally begin to rock and shift on the roller. And what if you sense that, what you're feeling is actually that restoration of the vibration through psoas and the neural core, what I call the rooted core um, mechanisms, you're actually feeling them come back up online. And if just from doing that, uh, and this would take a course of maybe five to seven minutes on the roller, lying back onto the floor, if when you reassess, you'll notice your ribs will settle down between the bra line and the navel. And when you and feel that, you that is your bras, first introduction to that restoration. Bra, for all those men who are listening, you don't wear bras, I think. Well, some men. Well, well from, from the bottom of your shoulder blades, let's say, from okay. the bottom of the shoulder blades to the navel. I mean, I think we all know where the bra line is. But, you know, that, that <laughs> mid-back, where your ribs are. You know, like if those ribs are lifted, when you settle back down to the floor, ideally that mid-rib really feels like it's created more volume. There's more width in the, in the mid-back. And that is... Um, 
that's the opening of, of that doorway that you're talking about, of the midline. You're actually opening some new reception, some new juicy, juicy uh, vibration through psoas and the neural core um, to create better reflexive and grounding mechanisms so that when you get up and you walk around, you'll just feel more stable. Neurologically, you'll be more stable, but reception-wise, vibration-wise, you're going to perpetuate that, that good functionality of, of psoas, which is just so critical to... And development and living. And one of the things I want to kind of let listeners know is that one of the reasons I don't consider the so as a hip flexor um, is because I think of it more as a pendulum and that it's neutral and it's a unbiased tissue. So it doesn't have a direction. It's uh, 360 degrees. So it's plump and it moves in every direction. So so the opening up of what I call the back field, these ribs that you're talking about in the back, allows the psoas to plump up and to hydrate mm-hmm. and to become fuller and uh, more uh, three-dimensional. I love that. That, that I, would, I would put thumbs up to every word of that for sure. So, Sue, um, I'm going to open it up in a few minutes for a couple questions, but I'd like you to tell us why the melt. Uh, roller, you said in the beginning you'd love to say something about how you made it. Um, this would be a good time probably to do that. Well, and I think I think I've already said it is that you know you you really have to get your hands on the melt roller. It is soft if you put your hands on both ends and pressed it together, it would bow. It actually has movement to it. It's made with a, it's uh, it's got more rubber material to it than foam. It's not an open cell foam. It's a it's a closed cell foam. Um, it's very resilient, but it's soft. And again, it, the thing about connective tissue that I think a lot of us miss is you can't just, you know, find a spot that hurts and rub it because what you're doing is you are inflicting pain to get out of it. And really, if you think about it, that just makes no sense. Why hurt yourself to get out of pain? It doesn't make sense. So the idea is to not overstimulate the sensory nervous system, but to support it. And the way that you support it is by giving connective tissue its time it's to adapt. You, you can't just blast through it. it t- you have to take time, ease into it, um, create sheer force in a very direct, specific way, and then move on. And I would just encourage anybody that if you have a region of your body that you think hurts you, that is the victim. That is not the criminal. You need to not go right at areas that hurt you, but to think that maybe that's just the tethering end. That's the area that is under stress. And actually, if we can create exchange throughout other regions of the body, you'll find that other joints will will ultimately, the pain will decrease. And that is why so often for me, people who have shoulder girdle pain or pelvic pain, I work in that midline. I work in that centering point, and it really helps to untie some of the unnecessary tension that's in these um, in this vibrational network of this reflexive and rooting mechanism, so that your body just more appropriately sustains stability. And that is why this roller, I think, is just so important for people to try because once you get on this roller, you really will see why those firm black rollers should really be used only for um, myofascial release. You really should not be lying along your spine or working on regions of your body that are bony like your pelvis or your shoulder girdle with those types of props. Um, That's not what they're there for. So, you know, I just think that the roller is a tool specifically designed 
to restore the fluid state of the connective tissue and uh, improve the neurological regulators and the balance so that you stay stable, active, and pain-free. That's what it's made so, for. So, Sue, uh, tell us, um, I, I want to I wanna address one last thing, and then we're going to open it up for a few questions. Um, you mentioned earlier in the conversation about people who are hypermobile. And I've never really heard anyone speak to the idea of hypermobility in relationship to connective tissue. So, oh, sure. And I think it's so important. So I'd like you, I, we have to keep our time kind of in check, but I'd really love you to address a little bit about hypermobility. Sure, I can actually say this very simply. Tissue. It doesn't matter which side of the spectrum you're on. If you are stiff as a board and you have no flexibility at all in your muscles, or you are hypermobile, meaning that the connective tissue is lax at your joints, which happens to a lot of people who do yoga, um, you know, even though you think you've got perfect form, you could just be hanging off of your ligaments, and really the muscles where they are so locked short, they don't actually stretch because the connective tissue that is providing the container is so dehydrated that you're just pulling off of your own connective tissue. So regardless of which side of the spectrum you're on, hypermobility or too stiff, the connective tissue, when you hydrate it, doesn't get softer. It actually increases your stability. It, crea it, it, it goes back to doing its job to support the structures it surrounds. And when you are hypermobile or you are stiff, it is a clear indication that your connective tissue is simply dehydrated, it is out of balance, and it is no longer able to do its primary job of supporting you. The, the, the collagen bindings don't have the, the hydrogen or the water molecule to bind against to, to keep its integrity. Um, and so that is the beauty of melt is that whichever side of the spectrum you're on, the goal is to bring you back to that center point, to the middle, where your connective tissue provides the most amount of stability with the least amount of effort. That is what a tensegrity architecture, that's what connective tissue is. It's a tensional integrity architectural network to be able to provide you enough tension, enough uh, resistance of compression that you move in good efficiency. That is the brilliance of your connective tissue. If you keep it hydrated, I don't care which side of the spectrum you're on, you're going to improve yourself by going back to a midline where you are more stable. That's the goal. That sounds fan fabulous. So your new book is coming out. Or your, yes, new, February your, 1st, your book is column. coming out. And tell people when your book will be out. The, the book is out February 1st. It's called The Melt Method, and it's about it's a breakthrough self-treatment system to eliminate chronic pain, erase the signs of aging, and feel fantastic in just 10 minutes a day. And it uh, really gives a lot of the top-of-the-trees ideas for the general public. It's not the full, all of the 60 techniques. It's really just those top-of-the-trees one that anybody at any age could read this book, grasp the idea, and immediately begin to apply the techniques, um, either using just the soft ball for the hands or the feet or the soft roller, and immediately feel their body go back into balance. And for people who want to read or see more of your work, you want to give your website or contact information? Uh, the, the website is meltmethod.com. That's M-E-L-T-M-E-T-H-O-D.com. And uh, there's a lot of resource there. I write a blog, and I blog about pretty much everything. Um, and uh, the teacher trainings are all over the country now. Uh, we'll be issuing the 2013 
schedule coming up here. There's going to be a lot of um, intro classes and events, both hosted by me and by uh, the other 400 MELT instructors that are out there now teaching it. Um, so when the book launches, you'll be able to experience MELT for yourself. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll have the book launch and everything like that. But the teacher trainings, um, you know, there's one actually coming up this weekend in New York, um, and I'll be out in San Francisco uh, later this month. Great. So I want to thank you. Let's open it up for just a few questions. Um, and so the way people can do that is I'm going to... Q&A session started. Ooh, I'm going to turn on the Q line here. Um, so how you get here is if you'd like to speak, you star six, and that's the way to come on, come online and ask Sue a question or me. So uh, we've got uh, Julie. You wanna wanna speak up? Can you hear me? Yeah. Hi. Okay. Um, I purchased the MELT method. I'm a yoga instructor, and I, I teach the yin method along with the others. But I was very intrigued when I found the MELT method. And so I purchased the hand and foot treatment and also the roller. And I love your um, the little DVD that comes with the hand and foot. And I was wondering if you had something like that that goes with the roller. Because I don't really know what to do with the roller. <laughs> That's what everybody said. They were like, where are the videos for this roller? So we, because of the book coming out in February, we withheld the video. So the video will come out in, in, in um, it's three 30-minute uh, melt maps that are on the actual video. And they'll also be on the website what we call 10-minute treatments that will actually coincide with the book and you can just download those they're not you don't even have to buy a whole dvd and um they're streaming videos and and the gen regardless if you're trained or not in melt um, you'll be able to download those sequences that are in the book you'll be able to view them and watch them and comment on them um, and ask questions to us and that's all coming up um at the beginning of this of uh, 2013 as we start to um bring the the book out so they are coming i know everybody says that i love this one about the hand and foot but where's the roller so it is coming <laughs> and for now if you go to youtube if you type in melt method you'll see some videos that i've posted up there using the roller and some of the very basic techniques um, and there'll be some new ones that will start to pop up um, with the new footage that we have for the video so it's coming thank you for asking yeah i have you. seen your youtube um and I have a bunion in my right foot growing already, so would the foot method actually slow that down? It does. It slows it down. And if you do the bunion treatment, it really decreases the inflammation that occurs at the big toe. But, you know, unfortunately, if you already have the calcifications that are there, there's really very little that you can do to break down the calcifications, um, you know. And but, but if it's not hurting you, if you do the bunion treatment every day, I mean, even for me, my right toe used to be very good friends with the second toe. They were like crossing each other uh, and they no longer do that for me. And, and it's from doing doing it every day. You got to work on it every day and get those adductors and the big toe to release. And the bunion treatment is so simple using that little band and the softball in between the bunion. Okay. So I'd like okay. to take another question, Julie. Thank you. Um, I'm going to take uh, Lauren. Uh, let's see. It's Eleanor. 
Yes. Hi. Where can we purchase the hand and foot and the roller today? You could you could go to meltmethod.com and order it right online, and it'll get shipped to you. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. Yep. Thank you. Um, we've got a uh, RS, Richmond. Yeah. My question is about when to melt. Um, melting, I've heard you say, is prior to exercise. Is there mm-hmm. um, certain rules about how long and and sure. what kind um, of exercise? And yeah, it's a great question. And actually, in the book, you know, we even in in the last chapters, we even discuss uh, systemic issues. And you know, like if you had cancer, could you still melt? Um, but in general, you know, when you first start doing a self care technique where you're trying to improve the healing components of your cells, the best time to to begin when you first do it is at the end of the day, where where you're coming close to being, you know, uh, where, where you're where you're going to go to sleep. So up to one hour before you go to bed, when you first start doing it is the best way to instigate that healing uh, potential of the fibroblast to proliferate. Then, if what you're looking to do is improve performance, melt is a great thing to do for 10 minutes before you were to exercise so that you're preparing the environment that your muscles live in to perform more efficiently. It it actually improves efficiency, improves performance. Um, If you were going to run a marathon, though, I would highly suggest doing a little bit of melting after as well, just so that you're replenishing all of the fluids that you lose in your joints from all of the compression that you would do for for any repetitive strain. But really, you can melt any time of the day. Um, Ten minutes is plenty. You know, doing it in ten minutes a day, three times a week, you get to that point where that's all you'll have to do. But you could melt up to an hour, um, even in an intro class. We do 90-minute intro classes just so that people can really experience all the changes. The biggest tip I could give everybody, though, if you're going to start melting, is make sure that it's not about the volume of water you drink. It's the consistency that you drink through the day. And if you drink about five to eight ounces of water before you do the treatment and a little after, it it allows the cells to very quickly absorb new fluid and it keeps the um, benefits longer so that, you know, it's almost like you're building it up in your body. So, again, first at the end of the day is where you're going to start, and then you're going to do it pre any exercise, any yoga, any weight lifting, and then, you know, you can pick and choose. You can do it in the morning, uh, you know, you can do it in the evening. Okay, thank Excellent. you. Excellent. Let's do, um, uh, Paul Madonna is who I'm looking for. Okay, let me see who else I can get here. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Hi. Your background um, is really noisy, so ask your okay. question. Yes, um, I have studied with Jill Miller quite extensively, and I know she was familiar with Jill. And uh, so I'm working and I'm, um, I'm working with the yoga tuna balls uh, very specifically. Uh, so I want to find out what would be the major difference between working with a foam roller and uh, as compared to the balls. Is it uh, the foam rollers are talking more specifically after larger sheets of connective tissue as compared to the balls or uh, what would be the uh, Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to take your answer. You know, Wait, excuse me. She's a great I'm friend of mine. Your, oh, and the, the yoga tune-up balls are a self-massage that she's added to the yoga tune-up 
program, um, from what I what I understand. And the thing about the balls is that you're going very deep, very fast along uh, regions where there are you know pressure points, if you will. Um, whereas melt is really trying to restore the fluid state of the entire matrix from skin to bone, which just takes a little bit of a longer time to adapt. So if you're doing yoga tune-up, what you would do is you would use melt for 10 minutes before you were to do a yoga tune-up treatment where you're getting much more specific, uh, you know, working right along the spine, working up into the cusp of the shoulder, working uh, right on the SI joint, that you'd want to really get the entire system back to a place where it's going to respond and adapt more efficiently to those more heavy, isolated, identified compression uh, techniques. So that would be, um, they're, 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 they're similar in thread of the intention, um, but MELT is a much more global technique to restore the fluid of the entire matrix. So again, I would do MELT and then I would do yoga tune-up and you'd, you'd gain way more benefit um, from, from any self-massage uh, technique that's out there. Um, you know, MELT okay. is really the only technique that really addresses the regulators of the nervous system and the sensory nervous system and how it adapts. And so it just takes a lighter touch. It's a much, much, much lighter touch than um, rolling uh, your body on um, those pinky balls. Okay, I'm going to take one more call, and um, this will be our last question. And so it's a person, I don't have your name, it says wireless caller. Um, oh, that might be me. Yeah, come on on. Hi, this is from Charleston, South Carolina. And this is sort of a related question and follow-up to what y'all were just speaking on, and that is, you know, when you're self-treating yourself, how do you, I mean, sometimes it doesn't hurt while you're doing it, you know, the pressure you're applying, but then later you pay for it. It's like, wait a minute, right. I felt good while, while I did it. Why have I bruised myself now? Why am I hurting today? So sure, I love that, to ask that is, everybody that's involved with this, and I've asked Liz this too. But I love to ask everybody. Yeah, well, and that's so such I'm a gonna great take the question. Phone. I'm going I'm to disconnect you just so that the mute. So we'll just hear what Sue's answer because we get a lot of static otherwise. So take it off. Yeah, that, take your answer offline. Okay, so go ahead. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's probably one of the most intelligent, smart questions I, I, I hear, and I hear it so often. Like, how do you know? Because sometimes, you know, we do all sorts of self-care things, and we think we're doing this good thing, but then the next day we wake up and we're sore. And with melt, because melt is such a light touch technique, it's it's less uh, obvious, you know, like when people are stepping on the balls, sometimes people do like they want to, they, they actually want to inflict pain because we feel like if we don't feel something, we're not doing anything for ourselves. And so it's the word pain that, that we need to clear up, you know, like if it feels even sensitive, you, what you are identifying is an area of connective tissue dehydration. And that's actually your cue to back up and ease compression. Now, for the people who are saying, gee, I don't I don't even I don't think I'm hurting myself when I'm doing something yet the next day I feel like I'm paying for it what what you're actually paying for is or what you're noticing is um is the result that you know even though you've stimulated the tissue it it cannot sustain the changes and that just takes time that's not that you're doing it wrong it actually means do less time don't go so long in your treatments maybe it's only five minutes when you start and not ten minutes but ease your body into it that's your cue that your body just needs a little bit more time to adapt especially
especially if you've got any uh, type of systemic issues or you're, you're on any kind of medication, it's going to take your body longer to restore that natural healing process. So you haven't done anything wrong. It's just that you really need that, that little extra time. So just ease back on the duration, um, go less long, and do it more consistently. You could do five-minute uh, treatments two times in a day, very separate in their time frame, and you'll probably decrease that amount of um, negative effect that perhaps you're noticing by doing any kind of self Q and A session is over. Sorry. Yeah, we're Muted. in the ball. You just you can really ease back a lot of that tension. So um, I would just encourage you to keep trying, drink more water, and just do less time more often. And I think that you'll find more positive results from any self care that you do. Okay, so I want to thank everybody, and especially I want to thank you, Sue, for joining me for this delightful opportunity to interview you and your work. I think it's extraordinary, and I deeply appreciate you taking the time to do that. So I welcome everybody to connect with Sue at Melt Method, www.meltmethod, and my website is www.coreawareness.com. So thank you.